0: Welcome to Agenda Breakdown, a podcast that explores how cities and counties make decisions and how you can have a say. I'm Kim Bischoff, and today we're going to talk about how the city of San Luis Obispo is planning to tackle climate change in 2020 san Luis obispo adopted an ambitious climate action goal to become carbon neutral by 2035 since then the city has made progress in a lot of areas including green electricity active transportation organic waste reduction and more that we'll hear about soon Next up is creating a climate action work plan for the next several years. City leaders are asking the public to weigh in on that plan before November 16th. So now is the time for all of us to get up to speed on the climate action options. Here to help us with that is Chris Reed, the sustainability manager for the city of SLO. Welcome, Chris.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with the basics. What is a climate action plan?
1: A climate action plan at the highest level is simply a plan that sets a greenhouse gas emissions reduction target and then commits to actions to achieving that target. Uh, these plans can exist for all types of organizations. So small nonprofits or community-based organizations can have climate action plans all the way up to the largest companies and national governments and state governments. Climate action plans have been things that local governments have been doing since the mid-1990s, and the city of San Luis Obispo has had a climate action plan since 2012.
0: The 2020 climate action plan was divided into six different pillars, and I'd love it if you could walk us through them and let us know what progress has been made since that was initiated. So the first one, pillar one, lead by example. What does that mean and what has happened?
1: As we were working on the 2020 Climate Action Plan, we heard from our community, from key stakeholders, and from our council repeatedly that the city as a highly visible organization should really be leading by example. So if we have a 2035 greenhouse gas emissions carbon neutrality goal as a community, we want to do that even faster. And we want to learn lessons in highly visible and public ways and to share those lessons out with our community. So this sector, this pillar, is focused on reducing our operational emissions. So our fleet vehicles, our buses, our buildings and facilities, having carbon neutrality in those operations by the year 2030, so five years faster than the community target. And we've made some tremendous strides. So we just purchased a number of electric fleet vehicles. We're working right now on our electric fleet charging infrastructure. We're understanding the initial building electrification or decarbonization projects at our cities and facilities. We have our electric buses on order, and I could keep going down the list.
0: When you say fleet vehicles, does that mean like maintenance trucks and things like that?
1: Right now, we're primarily focused on what's called light-duty f- fleet vehicles. These are passenger cars, small trucks. But the medium and long-term plan is either electrification or using an alternative clean fuel for those medium and, and heavier-duty trucks and, and machinery
0: that we see around town. Are there any plans to have an electric shuttle or some way for people to get around downtown that uh, allows them to not bring their cars or leave their cars farther away?
1: One of the major focus areas of the Climate Action Plan is on mobility and on clean mobility. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But for now, I'll just say that we do have electric buses on order. And we'll be working on updating our bus yard to be able to charge those. And so we'll be meeting state mandates uh, well ahead of time to have a fully electric bus fleet.
0: All right. Well, pillar two is clean energy systems. What does that mean?
1: A low carbon electricity system, that is an electricity system that can operate with very low greenhouse gas emissions while being dependable, affordable, and accessible is really the foundation of a low carbon economy. Once we have that, we can plug all of our fossil fuel equipment and appliances into it and really start to rapidly reduce our emissions. Progress we've made here includes joining Central Coast Community Energy, which is uh, what's called a Community Choice Aggregator Energy Provider. But basically, we've partnered with a number of other local governments across the Central Coast to purchase electricity on our community's behalf. And that organization has a goal of, by 2030, directly investing in enough electricity to provide 100% renewable and clean energy for our entire community. So year over year, the electricity grid will just keep getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, meaning everything that's plugged into that will have a lower and lower emissions profile.
0: Okay, so pillar three, green buildings.
1: Right. So now that we have a clean electricity grid and a grid that's getting cleaner and cleaner all the time, we're able to transition the fossil fuel appliances and systems in our buildings to that clean electricity system. And fortunately, there's just been rapid advances in electrical appliances. So there's heat pump hot water heaters and heat pump uh, air conditioners and heating systems. And they're just vastly more efficient than any other appliance available. So we can cost-effectively begin to transition away from those fossil fuel appliances into all-electric appliances and systems. And this actually pairs really well with this historic level of funding that's coming from the state of California and the federal government via our state budget, via the recent Inflation Reduction Act and related infrastructure bill and CHIPS Act. There's all these things lining up that are going to bring a tremendous amount of resources into our community to help transition from fossil fuel appliances in our buildings to clean electric appliances.
0: Does that apply to residential or commercial buildings or both?
1: It has a wide applicability depending on the program. So the Inflation Reduction Act has both tax credits for improvements to residential homes and commercial buildings and, for the first time, uh, local government buildings. And also we'll be distributing money to the state of California for rebates starting in 23 for uh, similar types of upgrades.
0: So there are steps that consumers can take in order to electrify their homes or you know, reduce the carbon output before they're required to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we think of green buildings, we separate those into new buildings. So buildings that are being constructed and buildings that already exist in our community. For new buildings, just this summer, council adopted a new policy requiring that buildings be all electric starting in 2023. We know that new buildings are typically lower cost and easier to construct, and they have operational cost parity and really low greenhouse gas emissions. So that's one recent piece of work that we've done there. For existing buildings, we've been working really hard to understand the specific challenges and opportunities that exist in our own community. So we've been working with a local affordable housing provider to bring statewide resources, to do a pilot project, to bring air conditioning, and to bring all-electric water heating, and to bring some uh, comfort improvements into that space so we can understand what are costs like here, what's the contractor environment like here, et cetera. And so that's going to really help us understand and inform the programming that we create in the 23 to 27 work program around how to support single-family homeowners or perhaps renters or multifamily building owners as they look to take advantage of these federal and state resources and improve their buildings.
0: Yeah, one of the big complaints that I heard, at least in the early days, was what about my gas stove? How am I going to possibly cook without my gas stove? Do you get the sense that people are being more receptive?
1: There's a number of ways that people can participate in this transition. For folks that want to take maximum advantage of state and federal resources and get a new water heater or an HVAC system, there's that opportunity. For folks that want to transition to a induction cooktop, there'll be that opportunity too. And we know that both uncombusted and combusted natural gas in poorly ventilated areas are real health concerns. And so folks may make improvements for those reasons. But Everyone's journey in this transition will be different. Some folks may want to keep their natural gas stove forever and will just look to change out their water heater. And and based on our buildings and our own lives, that'll be really different.
0: Well, that leads to my favorite of the pillars. Pillar four, the connected community, which is active transportation.
1: As someone who's worked as an urban planner, and urban designer in the past, um, none of these children are my favorite children, but connected community is kind of my favorite child. This is (laughs) such a, a... an exciting space to work in because it really brings in all the things our community cares about, active transportation, transit, parking, housing, land use, into one space. Connected community looks at how we can move around our community, how we can have mobility that has really low in greenhouse gas emissions, but is also accessible and affordable and connects parts of our community together. This takes what some folks might think are different topics like transit and active transportation and housing and looks at them as a holistic a holistic thing that if we can live by where we work then we maybe don't need a second car or a car at all and if that space is really well supported by bicycle infrastructure and pedestrian infrastructure and transit uh, systems then even more so perhaps we only need one car no cars at all at the same time connected communities also understands that many people will want to keep two cars or one car and will need to make regional trips and so the other piece of this is also providing either access or opportunities for infrastructure requirements for infrastructure or building our own infrastructure for electric vehicle charging so that if someone wants to buy an electric vehicle but maybe doesn't have access to charging or if they need to charge while they're at work or downtown they'll be able to
0: Okay, that brings us to Pillar 5, which is an interesting one. Circular economy, which I believe is about organic waste reduction.
1: The concept of circular economy is a really big one. The idea is that in a straight-line economy or linear economy, you take resources, you use them, and you throw them away. A circular economy says that we can take those resources, use them, reuse them, and start to create a loop of reuse. That can be applied to lots of different topics in our climate action plan that's primarily focused on organic waste. So the food scraps that we throw in the green bin, the yard waste we throw in the green bin, because of the facilities we have in our county, and because we're complying with a state law around organics reduction, we can actually take that waste, put it in that facility, and out comes really high-quality compost and clean electricity that gets fed back into the grid. So we start to see What used to be a straight line where that garbage would go into the landfill and rot start to become a circle where it feeds back into the economy and well-being of our community.
0: Is that the anaerobic digester? It's the
1: anaerobic digester, yeah. I
0: love that. One of my students recently told me that I can now throw my pizza boxes into the green bin, and that's just game-changing for all of us.
1: (laughs) The anaerobic digester is one of the the best facility tours you can do uh, in the county. Uh, I mean... The recycling facility is also pretty great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll sign up for both. Okay, we should great. have just a nerd tours or slow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to join. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, last but not least, natural solutions, um, carbon sequestration. This is a little. You know, speaking of nerdery, this is uh, this is a little more in the weeds.
1: Yeah. So we're really lucky to inherit from community and council and staff in the past, and incredible work of current community council and staff, this robust open space system, right? We have access to trails, we have unique species all around us, we have all this land and conservation that's preventing sprawl and helping us have a compact urban form. It's providing an amazing space for us to go benefit from being outside. But what it's also doing is holding carbon, greenhouse gas emissions in the soil, What it's also doing is holding carbon and greenhouse gas emissions in the biomass of trees. So there's a couple of things here. One is around just conserving that space and retaining it as it currently sits. And that retains the carbon that's stored there and and keeps it there. But we also know that as the climate changes around us, we're going to need to manage some of those open spaces slightly differently to ensure their health. And one of the neat things is, is we can manage that in such a way that not only is it more resilient to a changing climate, But it sucks more carbon down into the soil. Those native grasses will take that carbon, put it in the ground, and it can stay there into the future. And we're actually just doing some initial pilots here to understand, working with Cal Poly Soil Science, to understand what is the carbon carrying capacity of some of the soils in our open spaces? What could the potential be? How could the management practices be put in place to make sure those open spaces are healthy uh, and, and really accessible and continue to be places we love?
0: Okay, so one other topic that's not one of the official pillars uh, that came up in the Climate Action Plan is environmental justice can you talk about what that means and how slow has made some progress in that area since 2020
1: diversity equity and inclusion is a major city goal uh, in this financial plan and so we've been working really closely with our de and I manager diversity equity and inclusion manager to understand how we can integrate those concepts into our sustainability work but even before that we've seen equity and environmental justice as a really core lens by which we see this work and it's one of the ways that we think and we've learned from other cities throughout North America that we can be successful. And when we're able to have an equity lens on all the work we do, we're able to make sure the benefits are distributed across our community equitably. That's really like a pathway to success. So environmental justice means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, It's actually enshrined in California government code. Um, So like a working definition is that environmental justice is the fair treatment of people of all races, cultures, and incomes with respect to the development, adoption, Implementation and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies, and that's one way to think about it. I think we'd extend that to also programs, um, outreach, all the sorts of work we do. And I'll I'll say every time we do a task, like this, is just standard practice. We do a project plan, right? So we have in our cap, there's a task there. We're ready to implement it. We'll do a project plan, saying who's going to do the work, what's our budget, what's our time frame. One of the things we've added in is the specific equity lens in our work program, asking how are we going to hold our commitment to representational equity to make sure that a representational cross-section of our community is involved from the ground floor in how this program is designed and implemented. Um, We also ask how are we going to maintain our commitment to what's called distributional equity, or how are the benefits and costs equitably spread across the community Uh, And then finally, we ask this sort of like structural equity question. How can we make sure those lessons learned in this little project gets transferred out to all the other projects and tasks that we're working on? There's a couple of examples here, and I think the one that I'm most excited about and that's most relevant to some of the conversations we've already had here is around how we're thinking about access to funds and resources for building retrofits. So we know that energy poverty is a major issue. We know that in these Uh, economic times for low and moderate income households, the energy bill is just one more thing on top of everything else. And we've seen electricity rates go up. We've seen natural gas rates go up. So there's lots of ways that a building retrofit program could look. And the way that we're narrowing in on is finding ways to bring those federal resources That can pay for up to 100% of projects for folks that are in the lowest income brackets. State resources, that can pay for up to 100% of projects. This includes solar. It includes battery storage. It includes upgrading electrical panels for safety. It includes insulation for comfort. And really narrowly focusing in on deploying and delivering those resources to folks in our community that want to take advantage of it so that we don't leave any of that money on the table. We bring as much into our community as possible, and it really benefits the people that need it the most first.
0: These are all great goals. How does a city decide to prioritize funds for something like this?
1: There's a notion that sometimes we'll hear from a community member a question along the lines of, can we afford to do this? Or something along the lines of, uh, this is really nice if you have the money to do it. Or, or perhaps a question about, um, you know, I'm a low-income community member, this is really just going to burden me. We've intentionally developed these tasks, not just to be neutral to that question, but to actively address and resolve questions of diversity, equity, inclusion, of economic development, of affordability and accessibility. And a couple of examples here. So first, we joined Central Coast Community Energy in 2020 as a way to bring clean electricity to our community on a really accelerated path. But we also did it because the rates are lower than they would have been for folks that had stayed with the, the previous utility, while also providing access to programs that can heavily subsidize the used electric vehicle or a used e-bike, which can have further cost reductions in household costs for mobility and cost of living.
0: I feel like any of the seven items we just touched on could be its own episode. <laughs> if people want to take a deeper dive into any of them, where do you recommend that they go?
1: slowcity.org slash climate action plan that has our current 2020 climate action plan. It also has the next set of work tasks that we're proposing to implement that plan um, and as well as a survey that you all can take to give feedback on it.
0: What does that entail and what exactly are you asking the public to weigh in on?
1: We're really interested in making sure that the tasks that we implement to achieve our greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals don't just have co-benefits as a nice-to-have, but intentionally drive progress in our housing goals, in our diversity, equity, inclusion goals, in our economic development goals. We've had really deep conversations with broad cross-section of our community to to ask that question and understand. And we think the tasks in the plan reflect that, but we'd really love to hear from people. What are some things we can do in there to be really successful, to drive benefit into their daily lives?
0: Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you. Now it's time for today's action item. The city has posted a public review draft of the Climate Action Plan work program, along with a public survey where you can submit your thoughts by November 16th. You can find that survey and others at slowcity.org slash opencityhall. I will publish that link in the show notes. And while you're there, take a look at the other two opportunities to give direct feedback to your local government. Surveys are also open for the city's first strategic plan to prevent and address homelessness, the Deadline for that one is November 19th. And the fire department's upcoming strategic plan, deadline November 14th. Today's episode was produced by Samantha Reardon with music by Wes Bishop. If you like the show, you can go to agendabreakdown.com to listen to past episodes and follow us on social media. You can also find us and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kim Bishop. Thanks for listening to Agenda Breakdown.